Passages, 2 Corinthians 5.11, Hebrews 4.12 and 13. Hope I've memorized them because I don't have them in front of me here. Good to see the Selkirks. How you guys doing? Good. And we have the potter's shed here. Cole, those guys, those men standing in front of you, sitting in front of you, 216 miles one way. Next time I hear somebody say, yeah, that's one way, right? Every time. Next time I hear somebody say, well, you know, we came 80 miles to be here today. And you'll know why I didn't genuflect when you said that, because Potter said, Queen of Sheba. You guys should be called the Queen of Sheba congregation because you traveled all that way. She traveled all that way to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here, our Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of his congregation. Increment 263, Hebrews 2020, we see Jesus. We're going to deal with what I call an apostolic confession. There are certain things in the New Testament, especially, that apostles say that you and I can relate to more and more as we grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We can identify more and more with apostolic statements and affirmations because we are an apostolic church. God designed the church to be sent. As the Father sent me, so I send you goes for all of us. And so we are to be the apostolic church. I call it the apostolate atlat, the apostolate on the level of our time. And this is a time to embrace the light. We're faced with a lot of darkness in our time, but this is the time to embrace the light. And it's the light that comes from the exposition of the word that enters the heart and transforms the mind. And in that, with that in view, I've early on developed what I call 10 affirmations of tetelestai phalanx. I view our church as a phalanx because Paul, when writing to the Colossians, spoke of their stereoma, which means a main line of defense, a main line of resistance. The church that reaches the maturity of apostolic maturity doesn't just make Christian confessions or confessions of saints, but the confession of the apostle becomes more and more relevant to us. And 2 Corinthians is very good for that, especially 2 Corinthians chapters 3, 4, 5, and 6, and really the first six chapters or the first seven. And today I want to consider what I call an apostolic confession, but also a tetelestai affirmation, affirmation number six, which I translate as we are completely open before God. From 2 Corinthians 5.11, it's a better translation than the one you have in your lap or in front of you probably, because what Paul actually says that, knowing the reverential awe of the Lord, we persuade people in the light of the fact that we must give an account to God. We must give an account at the judgment seat of Christ for the things we have done in our body, says 2 Corinthians 5.10. So we labor to be approved, whether we're absent from the body or present in this world, we labor to be approved of him. The appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ will be the appearance of a judge who has already been judged for us. 
And so there will be no condemnation in that judgment for all humankind. But the Lord will also appear as a consuming fire, and he will burn up all the dross and all the things we have done in our body which were not to his glory and not motivated by God in us and willing and doing in us. I would translate, therefore, and have this affirmation in 2 Corinthians 5.11 as we are completely open before God. And Paul says we're going to be manifested before the Lord, completely open before him at the judgment seat. And so Paul says we are already completely open before the Lord. This is the what I would call the prime requirement for the task of the New Covenant community is to be totally open, completely open. And I'm going to tell you what that means today, and there's a lot of things it means. To be completely open before God is to let God and his word be our conscience. People say, let your conscience be your guide. I say to be open before God is to let the word of God be our conscience, and then our conscience be our guide. Oftentimes our conscience condemns us, but God is greater than our conscience, as 1 John 3, 20 to 21 says. If, if our conscience condemns us with guilt, God is greater than our conscience. And our conscience is to be purged or purified by the blood of Christ in Hebrews 9, 14, so that we may serve the living God. We are completely open before God. The verse in Hebrews that corresponds splendidly with this is Hebrews 4, 12, and 13. The word of God is alive or living and powerful, meaning it's energetic. And it pierces to the dividing asunder between the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow and is a critic of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And then it goes on to say there is not one creature that is not naked and laid wide open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. We are completely manifested or completely open before God, whether we want to be, whether we will to be, or not. We're already open to him, so we may as well be open to him. To be already open and manifest before him is to be ready already for the judgment seat of Christ where we will give an account for our lives and livingness. So to be completely open before God is to let God be our conscience and the word of God direct our conscience and then our conscience be our guide. To be completely open before God is to be available to a plan not of ourselves, not of our making, nor of our preference. To be completely open before God is to be entirely receptive to his word, not selectively receptive to it. To the word that is and always was God. To the word, capital W, who uttered the word, tetelestai, from the place from which he freely and completely offered himself to God as a sacrifice of salvation, as we're going to learn very soon, maybe on a Wednesday message soon from Exodus 24 in the Septuagint, from the place which he freely offered himself and completely offered himself to God in our behalf, the place called Golgotha, the place of the skull, 
where he was pierced by his friends and hanged as a cursed and unwanted interloper by those who are his own, those to whom he came with salvation. We are completely open before God. We are that even if we don't will it or want it to be that way, as Hebrews 4.13 says. When we are that and when we are willingly open and completely open before God by our own will, it is God willing in us that we be open to him. The world may pride itself in its independence from God, in being closed off to God and to other people, not believing in him or even in his existence. But there is no one in the world who is not entirely open to the eyes of him with whom we must all give an account. We are completely open before God. It can be our apostolic confession, as it was Paul's apostolic confession. We are able ministers of a new covenant is an apostolic confession, but it's also our confession because we are apostolic in the sense of being sent once and being equipped. And it's my job to equip us for the work of the ministry and to bring us to a spiritual maturity whereby we can begin to make apostolic affirmations as our own affirmations. We are completely open before God is a prime application. This message today, incidentally, will determine the course of your life on earth, the rest of your life on earth. This message will also determine the characteristics of your eternal state in future world. So I take it a little bit seriously, a little bit if you can. To be completely open to God is to be available to his leading and amenable to his guidance. It is to wait on him. It's to wait for him. It's to trust in him unreservedly and for all things, for ourselves, for our family members, our church community, our friends, inside and outside of the community of the word. It's to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. It's to trust him with our nation, with all the nations, with the world and with the history in which the church occurs as well as with the church in the world. The church occurs in a world that's hostile to God and hostile to it. To be completely open before God is to say to the Lord, the Spirit, as he's called in 2 Corinthians three seventeen and 18, here I am, send me, use me, direct me, manifest the life of Jesus, your life, in me, in my mortal body. To be completely open before God is the requirement for the apostolate, for the ambassadors of Christ, for those who are effectively serving as priests of the living God, for the apostolic church, the sent ones by God into this world with the word of the cross that is an offense to those that are perishing, but salvation itself to those that are being saved. With the word of life, in Philippians 2.16, 
which we are to hold forth to a crooked and warped generation. What is a crooked generation? A generation that lives turned into itself, totally self-absorbed, totally absorbed in self, rather than turned out to the living God, turned outward to Christ, with a view to Christ. As the scripture says, if one died for all, and he did, then all died, and we all did die with him. And then it says that we may live no longer to ourselves. That's a curvature in ad se, as the Latin says. A curvature within self, which is the worst way to live, the most miserable way to live, and the way that leads us to perishing in this world. And we should not live unto ourselves, but unto him, to him, with a view to him, with an occupation with him, we could say, in 2 Corinthians 5.15. That changes our whole perception of things. That changes our whole life. That makes us like Shem rather than Ham. For when Noah, even the great patriarch, became drunk and did unspeakable things and was naked in his tent, one son broadcast it, another son, Shem, and Japheth both, took a robe and went backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. When Noah woke up, he prophesied and blessed Shem. Shem became the ancestor of Abraham, and in Abraham all the nations are blessed. And so love covers a multitude of sins. And when we are totally open before God, we know our own proclivities, our own inclinations. We know and have been shown our own wicked ways, so we are inclined to forgive. And to forgive is what Hebrews 8.12 is all talking about. The last thing God mentions in the New Covenant is the forgiveness of sins. Blessed are those who receive forgiveness. Blessed are those who dispense it. Blessed are those who forgive when they are wronged and forgive 70 times, seven times, as Jesus told Peter, much to Peter's shock and amazement. To be open completely before the Lord is the requirement for the apostolate, for the effective sent ones, for the ambassadors of Christ for the sent one into the world. We are to hold forth the word of life in the midst of a crooked and distorted and perverse generation, says Paul in Philippians 2, 15 and 16. And he says, that will make me proud on the day of Christ that you have done this, standing out as lights in a crooked and perverse generation. No phrase has described this generation better than that phrase in Philippians 2.15. And it comes from Moses' lips in Deuteronomy 32, in which he became sort of a critique of his own generation. To To be completely open before God is to receive his forgiveness totally, without reservation, and therefore to forgive yourselves, and then to dispense it, to forgive it, especially when we're wronged in Colossians 3.13. In Ephesians 4.32, to do this is to be an imitator of God. There are two times when we are told 
to imitate God or be an imitator of God. The first is in the concept of forgiveness. Forgive one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you, says Ephesians 4.32. 5.1 says, be imitators of God. Imitators of God in forgiving. And the second time that we are told to be imitators of the Father is to when we're told to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, and that means perfected in love. Because your Father in heaven is gracious to the wicked and the ungrateful, says Luke 6.35 and Matthew 5.45 to 48. He makes his reign fall to prosper the crops of the righteous and the unrighteous. He makes his sun to shine on the evil and the good. Be like your father in heaven. He loves without restriction. He loves without condition. He loves because he is the God of love and peace in 2 Corinthians 13, 11. And this God of peace is the one who in Christ reconciled the world to himself, not imputing their sins to them. And then he made us, and I have to chuckle inside a little bit, made us the ambassadors with that message. Be reconciled to God. So today I'm saying be open to God. You already are. So we can go out to the world and say be reconciled to God. You already are. Identify with your reconciliation. I identify as, well, you might identify as a chicken that lays two eggs a day, but I identify as a reconciled man. And by the way, if you're a man, act like a man, says the Bible. It's very simple. Paul said, act like men. The King James used to confuse me because it says, quit ye like men. And I said, men don't quit. What's that all about? Quit ye means acquit yourselves as men, if you're men. Acquit yourselves as elect ladies, if you're ladies. It's very simple. Act like men. It's not toxic to act like man. It's toxic when you're a man and you act like a woman. All right. Just thought I'd shoot that in there. <laughs> to be completely open before God is to be willing to be his imitators in forgiveness, and in unrestricted love. To be completely open before God is to be ready for anything and caught off guard by nothing. Let me say that again. To be completely open before God is to be ready for anything and caught off guard by nothing. To be completely open before God is to have a moving viewpoint. And that's what we've had in this church, a moving viewpoint which saved us from being trapped in a stagnant system of the doctrines and interpretations of men who don't even know how to interpret the parable of the goats and the sheep or the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. And so they concoct such evil and horrendous doctrines that have nothing to do with the salvation of a crooked and perverse generation. just gets more and more perverse and more and more crooked. To be completely open to God is to be born of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, who is free like the wind. Those that are born like the Spirit are like the wind, and the wind 
blows where it will. And the spirit is like that. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians, he that is spiritual discerns everything, and yet he's not discerned by anyone. No one can figure him out. If you're born of the spirit and led by the spirit, you can't be discerned by the carnal. You can't be figured out. And if people can't figure out, figure you out, they'll crucify you probably. Or they'll dismiss you. Or they will, well, there's a lot of things they'll do, but they won't love you very much. But John 3, 8, Jesus said that to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus obviously didn't get him because when Jesus said, you must be born again, he says, what? I got to crawl back into my mother's womb and be born all over again? Obviously, he wasn't able to discern someone filled by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, and directed by the Spirit who is like the wind. Today, I'm like the wind. You had no idea I was going to speak on this today, or maybe you did. But even if you did, so what? Just means you're in the wind. Where's the pastor? He's in the wind. To be completely open before God is to be willing to be misread and misinterpreted, just like the eternal word was misread and misinterpreted by people. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. He came into the world, and the world did not receive him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Funny, he came to save the world and his own, and especially his own, and his own did not receive him. They misinterpreted the word that God spoke, whose name is Yeshua, and his name means salvation. So to be completely open before God is to be willing to be misread and misinterpreted like the eternal word is misread. If you're a living epistle of Christ, men are going to read you. All people will read you. Men and women will read you, and many will misinterpret you. They won't see Christ in you. So to be totally open to God is to be willing to be misinterpreted by people, by a world wearing blinders, by those, whether called Christian or non-Christian, in whom the veil that lies over the heart prevents the light of the gospel of the glory of the Christ, who is the image of God, to shine into them. There are a lot of Christians going around saying, I have the gospel, and this is the gospel, and you've got to do this and this and this and this. That is not the gospel of the glory of the Christ that shines into people's hearts. That is not the gospel of the image of God in Jesus Christ, whose glory is destined to fill the whole earth and save all the world. And the devil loves John 3.16, by the way. The devil loves it. Because if he can get you to focus on that and not complete the, ta- the thought in 3.17, then you think that God is a selective savior. But the Bible says that God loved the world so much, or in this way, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes him would not only not perish, meaning now, but have the life of the coming age, meaning now, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Why condemn an already condemned world? But to save the world through him. The devil loves John 3.16, but he loves it dissociated from John 3.17. Because John 3.16 without 17 makes God look like, at face value, misreading that verse, which most people do, 
like a selective savior rather than a world savior and a universal savior. And if you're offended by the word universal salvation, let me say this, universal salvation, universal salvation, universal salvation, universal salvation. Jesus is a universal savior. Jesus saves all. The grace of God has appeared saving all mankind. The grace of God appeared salvation for all. And when the grace of God and the philanthropy of God appeared, he saved us according to his mercy. And if he saves us according to his mercy, and his mercy is to be shown to all, combining Titus 3.5 with Romans 11.32, then his mercy saves all. I don't want to hear any more arguments about it unless you've got a mighty strong defense in your defense. And we've pretty much dismantled that in the last 10 years at least where I've established this doctrine because we have a moving viewpoint, because we've been open to God, not closed off and cloistered in a ridiculous set of principles that have been invented by men to scare people into keep on tithing. All right. That's what you call preaching. I'm a preacher and a teacher, and as I get older, I don't feel like I'm getting older, but as I get older, I know I get more preachy. When you're older, you're supposed to get more cranky. I'm as cranky as hell, so watch out. To be completely open to God is to receive a kingdom that cannot be moved, and we'll get to that in a moment, but to be completely open to God is to readily acknowledge our sins to God and not be afraid to because we already have forgiveness. We already have a God who says, I will forgive and forget your sins. To be completely open before God is to let the light shine in the dark and secret corners and corridors of our mind and memory and intentions. If we're normal, we wouldn't on our best day Tell everybody everything that's in the darkest corners of our mind. But we can tell God that. And I have told God God that. The greatest temptations, the greatest intentions, the greatest everything that's in the darkest corners of my mind, I wouldn't even dream of telling you what they are. I tell God what they are. And I'm not afraid to say, search me, O Lord, and see if there's any wicked way in me if there's any self-absorbed tendency in me, if there's any evil surmisings in me toward any brother, for to sin against a brother is to sin against Christ, to see if there's any inattentiveness in me, to see if there's any lack of intelligence with the mind of Christ in me, to see if there's any unreasonable surmisings in me, to see if there's any irresponsibility in me before you and before men, to see if there's any unloving way in me, any root of bitterness in me. Search me, search me, because I'm being searched by a God who would never condemn me and never, ever think evil of me. So I'm not afraid. To be completely open before God is to allow God to search every single nook and cranny of our soul, even the ones we've hidden away, even the secret chambers. It is to let the righteous one smack us verbally and to counter to kindness. And you know that you're there when you're able to take rebuke and reproof and correction. 
Anybody that can't take rebuke or reproof or correction is a very small-souled, hypersensitive, and self-absorbed person. The only reason I'm standing in this pulpit is because I've received a few verbal rebukes from the Lord that have been eternally effective in my soul and from men and from men and women that I respect. Just subtle, but I've received them instead of bucked at them or balked. The righteous will smite me and I'll count it a kindness and the righteous one is Jesus Christ. And when we are completely open before God, we may be verbally smacked and count it a gracious kindness even if the righteous one speaks through an unlikely vessel like me or a jackass as he did with Balaam. The righteous one spoke through an unlikely vessel, a jackass. Read about it in Numbers if you want to. And so, yes, he can even speak through you and me. Unlikely vessels, people that we wouldn't normally think would be qualified to do such a thing. After all, I've been on the road for a long time. Right. To be completely open before God is to be strong, not in our own strength, but in the grace that's in Christ Jesus in 2 Timothy 2.1. It's to be poor in spirit and love it. Blessed are the poor in spirit because they're rich in God's grace and by God's mercy. It's to be willing to be made weak so that God can be strong in our behalf. It's to boast in our weaknesses and in our troubles and distresses and all the things that reveal our weakness that God sends into our life on purpose to reveal our strengthlessness. It's to boast in our troubles and distresses because our weakness is our dependence on God, our need for God, our helper. God does not help those who help themselves. God helps the helpless, and that's me, and that's you. He is our helper, so we don't fear what men can do to us. For it is only in our weakness that the power of Jesus Christ is fully demonstrated. That's what he told you. That's what he told Paul. That's what he told me. My power is perfected in weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9. And if you become a communicator of the word of God, and you are always troubled about something, and something is always in your life that causes trials and causes you commotion and battle, it's because God doesn't ever want you to think you're something. Paul said, there was a thorn in my flesh so that I would not be inflated with the great revelations and insights that God gave me. If Paul ever became aware of what he was as an apostle and who he was and what God had given him, he was in danger of the worst occupational hazard that not only a pastor but anyone can face, and that's arrogance and pride. Proverbs 8.13, that's what distorts a generation more than anything else, arrogance and pride, stubbornness against the will of God, stubbornness against all authority, in fact, despising of authority. To be open to God completely 
is to know that it's only in our weakness that the power of Jesus Christ is fully demonstrated in us, to us, for us, then through us, by us, to our friends, to our fellow church members, to our family. The gentle omnipotence of God reveals itself through us, his gracious kindness. For only when we're weak does God's power manifest itself even against our spiritual enemy, the devil, who then must flee for creaturely strength even at its angelic greatest cannot stand up to creaturely weakness that's filled up with divine power. Let's make that a thesis. Creaturely strength, even at its angelic greatness in the invisible adversary called the devil, cannot stand up to creaturely weakness that is filled up with divine power. So someone who's a clay vessel like you and I, in whom we have a treasure, can speak the word of God, and a great creature genius, world-dominating spirit has to flee away because, once again, creaturely strength, even at its angelic greatest, can't stand up to creaturely strengthlessness that is filled up with divine power. Our Lord Jesus was crucified in weakness, 2 Corinthians 13, 4, yet now he lives by the power, the irresistible and inexhaustible saving power of God. God's power is sometimes not recognized and not detected because people look for shocking miracles when the most often demonstration of God's omnipotence is the gentleness of his omnipotence. He can be omnipotently gentle and gently omnipotent. And as David said in one translation, your gentleness has made me great. To be completely open to God is to manifest Jesus Christ in our mortal bodies. In the power of an indestructible life, Jesus intercedes for us who in this world are weak, but who are empowered by the spirit of power, of love, and of sound judgment and discernment. As those who are completely open to God, we have nothing to hide from him, from whom nothing is hidden anyway. I'll say that again. To be completely open to God is to be having nothing to hide from him, from whom nothing is hid anyway. That we are totally open to God means that we can boldly say, once again, search me and point out to me, point out to me, any wicked way in me, any self-absorbed or arrogant way of thinking, surmising, judging, concluding about somebody, something that you conclude by sight or by gossip or by slander or by what you've heard or by what you think you see. Show me anything like that, Father. Search me. Search me. That's something we say to God, not people. Search me and point out to me any root of bitterness, any evil intention, any evil judging, any unforgiveness that would prevent me from truly knowing you and telling others of you, the God of love and peace who gave his only son and then brought him up from the realm of the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, our Lord Jesus. 
Great shepherd means that all humanity will one day be his sheep. Great shepherd, mega poimen, means one day all people will be his people. All humanity will be his people. That's what Revelation 21.3 says anyways. To completely be open to God is to readily acknowledge our sins to God, as I've said, for we are confessing to a God who has forgiven our sins. A God whose covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from sin and from all unrighteousness. Jesus' blood, moreover, has brought redemption, even the forgiveness of sins. For as he said in his prophet Jeremiah, I will remember their sins no more. To be completely open to God is to let him turn us so that we will be turned. There is no turning and no repentance unless God effects the repentance. God grants the repentance, Acts 11:18. It is his goodness that leads us to repentance in Romans 2:4. It is God who grants us a change of mind so that we escape the snare of the devil in 2 Timothy 2:25 to 26, usually under the preaching of a pastor teacher who is teaching with meekness and gentleness and with capability and aptitude to teach, to be completely open to God, is to let him turn us so that we will be turned. As Ephraim said, turn me and I'll be turned when we need to be turned back to him. No matter how far we've strayed, no matter how deeply we've rebelled, to be completely open to God is to let the Lord, the Spirit, lead us and we will be led. Fill us, and we will be filled, even filled with all the fullness of God. You'll see verses in this if it gets to print. And you might, I might be suspending some printing for a while because I have a lot of exhortation to say that, well, can't fit on paper some of it. To be completely open to God is to be open to be changed from one degree of glory to the next. I was once in an affiliation, and someone left because I left the affiliation. The person said, why did you leave Rick's church? And they said, because he changed. I've left assemblies and affiliations because the pastor didn't change. We have to be willing to change from one degree of glory to the next. To be unwilling to be changed is the confession that we're already there. And that's arrogance. And that's pride. Something people give a whole month to now. Wow. Hopefully they're humble in the other 11. To be completely open to God. Now you may choose a certain lifestyle if you wish. I will not judge you. But don't you think that I will applaud you and think that I'm evil because I don't applaud. You want me to wear a rainbow? You wear a cross on your heart. Now, I'm, say, I, I'm, I'm doing people a favor because guess what? Everybody's heart is open, wide open, and manifest to God. Everybody's heart is open, wide open, and manifest to God. Everybody's heart is open and wide open, and they will give an account 
to God before the judgment seat of Christ, looking into the eyes of fire of Jesus Christ. That's why. I'm doing you a favor. I'm doing us all a favor. And we all have something. We all got something. That if it was manifested, it would be worthy of the worst kind of judgment by people. But God doesn't condemn us. Our judge, the judge of all, was judged for all. If God is judged for us, and God is called the judge of all, and he is in Hebrews 12, then God was judged for all. That's why there's no room for judgment. And I'm not judging, but I'm not genuflecting. I'm not kowtowing. I'm not applauding either. I didn't, God didn't tell me that I have to applaud perversion. I'm sorry. Am I really sorry? No. When a nation gets to the point where it's coerced to applaud perversion, it has genuflected to bail, and it should not wonder when things that happen in East Palestine multiply by the thousands, and when diseases that are sent as biological weapons to kill millions kill millions and tens of millions more, And I said biological weapon, not disease or plague. And when the dissociation of law and order happens and the lack of respect for authority happens, that culture is on the way to a time of suffering that would not even... People are all up in arms if they have to suffer inflation. It's because they're inflated. And they look at inflation and say, that's just like me. Never mind. You never know where the Spirit's going to carry you. To be completely open to God is to let him turn us, let him fill us. To be completely open to God is to be open to be changed from one degree of glory to the next and to gaze with unveiled face at his image, to be changed into that image, conformed to the image of the Son of God. That which is our eschatological destiny anyway is to be conformed into the image of the Son of God. So why not now gaze into the mirror of the word and be changed from one degree of glory to the next on the way to being changed from the inglorious humiliation of this earthly body to a body of glory like Jesus Christ's own body. And Jesus never depended on substance to get him through. He depended on his Father and Spirit and Word. Now, Someone would say, I want to serve in your church. I want to serve with you. And I'd say, well, what what do you depend on? Well, I have to have this, this, and that. You're not serving here because I don't trust dope heads. All right. You say, that's a hard saying. Well, let it smack you upside the head and call it a kindness. All right. Now, I'm not talking about medication. You know that. I've said that a thousand times. You have to have it. In fact, There are people who need medication and don't take it, and they are suffering for it. 
If you need it and it's properly prescribed, it opens you up to receive the word of God and to have a balanced life. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people saying, well, it's legal now. Yeah, so go ahead. If you had seen, if you had been my age, you've seen the result of people that went that way, and they're not doing well in their old age. They're not. They're turning around and shaking hands with people that aren't even there. They're turning around and saying, where do I go now? Well, the bathroom's right there. Where? I forgot. To be completely open to God. You say, again, why do you do Because you're not going to hear this from a teacher. You're not going to hear this probably anywhere else except your local church now. That's the way it is now. Oh, I don't want to say anything that would be coming across as a rebuke. It would be toxic masculinity, and I don't want to be this kind of a man where I'm always fighting and be angry. Go to hell. That person. Not, not you, but the person in you that says that and insists on being that creepy kind of person. Fortunately, none of the, none of the people we are, when we're in our most obnoxious old person, that's the person's not going to heaven. The grumpy person that I am some days, the irritable person, the person that wants to curse everything and mad at everything, that me ain't going to heaven. I'm still responsible when I do that. Like the judge said to the murderer this week, yes, you aren't that man as you stand before me now. But when you took 15, 20, 30, 60 opioids, you were a monster who killed your wife and son. You are still responsible for doing that, so go away now for the rest of your life. You're still responsible for doing it, but that's not you. But we're still responsible, and we reap what we sow in this life, and this reaping ends in perishing. And we reap also what we sow to the Spirit when we are positive to the Word of God. And that reaping doesn't end at death. It continues on in future world, and a harvest of life, and a harvest of blessing, and a harvest of reward, and a harvest of impact. So that's why I say these things. Believe it or not, they're motivated by love. To be completely open to God is to receive a kingdom that cannot be moved. It's to serve God freely with a free spirit. And I can see this is going to have to go into Wednesday's recorded message. A free spirit. In the spirit whose presence means freedom. In 2 Corinthians 3.17, to serve God with a conscience cleansed from guilt, an evil conscience, Hebrews 10.22, a conscience plagued by guilt, by the blood of Christ, purified, and a heart purged from all fear by the love of God poured out through our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is God's gift of God himself, of God-self to us. God's gift of God's own love purges our soul and our hearts from fear. To be completely open to God is not to receive the grace of God in vain, but to let that grace do its work in us. It's to believe God without reservation, to love without restriction, 
to be merciful as recipients of unimaginable mercy, to be content with what we have, and to be unreservedly confident that God, our helper, will never leave us or abandon us. David said his mother and father abandoned him, but the Lord never forsook him. There are people whose parents can't live up to parenting, and that's all of us. But there are people who can't trust their parents and thank God. If their parents fail, and we all do from time to time, and sometimes we do in a very long and prolonged way, it's a time to look past our parents to the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. So when human beings fail you, when human beings even abandon you, when human beings seem to forsake you, and when they're just too weak to be there or be around, look past them. You might see the Lord high and lifted up. You might see seraphim singing to him, holy, 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 Lord, God of the armies. It's only at that moment when I look past all the people that I knew and admired, past my parents, past my teachers, past my counselors, past my mentors, that I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And that's what Hebrews is all about. Our main point is that we have a great archpriest seated at the right hand of God, the majesty of the heavens. That's the one I see. We see Jesus. We see Jesus and we become immovable. To be completely open to God is not to receive God's grace in vain, but to let that grace do its work in us. It's to believe God without reservation, to love without restriction, to be merciful as recipients of unimaginable mercy, to be content with what we have because covetousness is idolatry, and to be unreservably confident that God our helper will give us all that we need in this life. If we're completely open before God, we will sooner or later, probably sooner, be controlled by the love of Christ. To be completely open to God is to live not to ourselves in a warped curvature into ourselves in self-absorption and closure off from the world and from people and from the Lord, but to live to him with a view to him who died for us and with him and whom God raised from the dead and us with him. You've been raised together with him. To be completely open before God is to be sons and daughters of the resurrection already in anticipation of the change of our bodily condition from mortality to immortality, from corruptibility into incorruptibility, from the inglorious humiliation and the decay of the outer man to a spiritual body of glory, a change that will happen in an atomic moment when our great archpriest makes his inevitable second appearance and brings the final act of his so great universal and eternal salvation. And when God, a consuming fire, burns off all the wood, the hay, and the stubble, all the arrogant production and pridefulness of humanity, to be completely open to God, and I'm going to close with this, is to be open to possibilities that you cannot envision, imagine, or expect. It's to be receptive to things that no eye has ever seen. 
no ear has ever heard, no heart has ever conceived. To be completely open to God is the necessary preparation for the mission and the task of the new covenant community in our time. To be completely open to God may mean that you will be called to a vocation that you wouldn't have chosen or that wouldn't have been chosen by your parents, grandparents, teachers, or guidance counselors. It may mean for some young man here today that God will call you to be a pastor, an under-shepherd of his flock, a teaching shepherd who will remind the people of God that it is God, the God of Israel, who has made us and not we ourselves, and that he makes them competent to be ministers of a new covenant, servants in an operation of a life-giving spirit, summoned to speak the truth in love to a congregation of saints, equipping them for the ministry of the spirit of life and of righteousness. When we're completely open to God, we might find ourselves disposed to love the unlovable, to consider the unconsidered, those whom you may have not formally considered, those whom you may have formally despised, dismissed, or distanced from yourself. You may become inclined to serve the hurting, the disfranchised of this world, the incarcerated, the sick, the hungry, the unclothed, to encourage the faint-hearted, to be a refuge to others in historical storms and adversities that inevitably come to a perishing civilization. In a time of crumbling foundations, in a time of the inversion of values, calling evil good and good evil, in a time of a despising of virtue and an applause of vice and perversion. To be completely open to God is to be luminaries in the midst of a crooked generation, racked with spiritual scoliosis, hardened by spiritual sclerosis, inflated with self-destructive pride. To be completely open to God is to be deflated of pride, made pliable instead of stubborn. It's no longer to be content to have to be me, but to be a man or a woman gladly identified truly as a man or a woman in Christ. It is to no longer be an island, but be connected with the people of God, a people who have simply received mercy, a people who continually lift up their hearts to God in thanksgiving and praise instead of cursing and obscenity who call on God the Father and on Jesus Christ, his divine Son, and call on him as Christ and Savior and Lord. It is to be reduced to begging. To be totally open to God is to be reduced to begging. Because Paul said, we beg you, be reconciled to God. We urge you, we beseech you, be reconciled to God. We're reduced to begging as we're open to God. Because we are begging the world to acknowledge their reconciliation to God because God in Christ has reconciled them to himself, not imputing their sins to them. If you're a Christian and you're near a neighbor, the neighbor might assume, knowing you're a Christian or knowing you're even worse, a reverend or a pastor, They may assume that you're imputing sin to them, and we're not. 
God didn't impute the sins of the world to the world. So we go around not imputing people's sin to them, not imputing their sin, not judging them. We're less judgmental than they are. We're judged as being Christians more than we judge for people who are openly, simply bragging about their sinfulness. We got nothing. We got no axes to grind. I got no axe to grind with former affiliations. I got people that want me to grind an axe about former affiliations. I got no axe to grind. Because he who knew no sin was made to be sin for them and for me and for us all so that we would be made the righteousness of God in him whom God has made to be righteousness for us all. Want a powerful combination in closing? 1 Corinthians 1.30, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Now, I'm going to close with a prayer. This one I've actually written because yesterday I was meditating on all the things that it means to be totally open to God. And I wrote each word and phrase as it came to my mind. And so I'd even say, wrote it as I was given it. If rock singers can say, I wrote that song as it was given to me. I dreamed about it, said Paul McCartney when he wrote yesterday. Then why can't we, who are filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, consumed by the Spirit, directed by the Spirit, hearing the still small voice of the Spirit, why can't we hear what he's saying and maybe write it down and then put it together in a message? That's what I did for this one. And this is the prayer. It came a few words at a time. It's completely appropriate us to pray this at the end of this brief sermon. Brief, you say? Yeah. Quote, brief. My Lord and my God, open my heart so that I will be truly open to you. Open my mind to understand the scriptures as the testimony of your son, Jesus Christ. Open my ears to hear the still small voice of the Lord, the Spirit, and to distinguish the voice of the shepherd from the voices of strangers. Open doors before us that no man and no government or tyranny can close. Open the minds and hearts of our generation to receive the word of life to acknowledge your reconciliation of them to yourself in Christ, to believe in the only Lord, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. Open the Red Sea that appears to hinder the deliverance of our nation. Open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that can't be humanly contained and that we do not deserve and could never merit. Open our hearts to receive this blessing and with it to receive humility and repentance, the riches of poverty of spirit, forgiveness in the healing of our land and people. Open the gates of our heart and come rushing in, you king of glory. Amen, and thank you for your attendance. attention.